Thanks for tuning in to the Replatform podcast sponsored by Ampelins and Clavio. You're listening to myself, James Gedd, and my co-host, Paul Rogers. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, good. Thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. Have you recovered from the London Brighton bike ride yet? Pretty much, I think so. Yeah, or at least getting that. Excellent. Good work. So before we introduce our wonderful guest today, let's just set up this episode. And also, thanks for our regulars for tuning back in. And a warm welcome if this is your first time. Please subscribe. You get a new episode alert every week. And we'd love a like on YouTube, Spotify or Apple. So our topic today is um, the need for ERPs and how to manage uh, back office integrations. So really, really important topic because uh, usually when I'm in a project with client teams and the word ERP uh, and or the phrase ERP integration is mentioned, it either creates a surge of panic and fear because people have been burned from previous projects or people haven't gone through it and don't really understand the complexity and the data side and assume it's just a simple case of plugging two systems together and don't think about the potential complexity and impact and the time that's needed to properly map it out and underestimate and it comes back to bite them. So these, this part is such a huge part of any big uh, project. And we've got a guest today who's a specialist in managing ERP and other systems integration projects for a wide range of clients. So we're going to cover you know, when does a business need an ERP, what the pros and cons are using one versus not, how can ERP projects be de-risked, et cetera. So let's, first of all, let's welcome our guest, Luke Hodgson. How are you doing, sir? I'm very good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Really looking forward to this one um, because you have bags of expertise in an area that isn't my my skill set. So I'm looking forward to learning as much as asking you annoying questions. Uh, before we start into the questions, um, I know that um, yeah, some people know you from from previous roles, such as being the CEO and founder of Patchworks. Others will know you from your current role, um, co-founder of e-commerce thinking and high cohesion. Can you talk people through what what you're doing and what do, what are these businesses? And what's your focus? Yeah, so. I think my background and my career path is slightly unconventional in that I've started two tech businesses. So the first was co-founding Patchworks, and then the second was co-founding High Cohesion. And what those two um, those two businesses did was give me and everyone around me um, insight into a wide range of different tools and a wide range of different business problems. And all of them were focused in the like operational side of the business. So how you meet demand, how you operate efficiently, how you create a scalable business from the back office, not really focused on how do you generate the demand and convert the demand. And I think by and large, that's a niche that is probably underserved inside of the, the industry. So what I've done is, is, is and my business partner, Andy and I, we've been working together for the best part of 10 years. And what we've ultimately done is, is like productize the knowledge and the process that businesses need to go through and the things they need to be aware of when it comes to saying, okay, we've got tons of consumer demand, but the team and the operations can't really keep up. How do we address that so that over the next 12 months, we can meet our growth targets? And then over the next three years, we actually have a plan to follow that says, okay, if we continue to drive top of funnel demand and convert loads and loads of clients in loads and loads of different territories, how are our operations and all of the back office going to keep up with that and support it? So we help people do that by building out roadmaps and solving really big, hairy issues that they're dealing with right away and right now. Sound, does that make sense? And then in terms of the brands we're doing that with, um, we are called e-commerce thinking, but I'm seriously considering dropping the E because we work with lots of brands that are looking beyond e-commerce and D2C, whether they are 
pure play e-commerce businesses right now that want to open a retail store or want to do more wholesale or more traditional brands that want to embrace e-commerce a little bit more. So we're working typically with brands that are going through some of those inflection points where their existing tech stack and their existing operational processes, they've outgrown them, but they're not quite sure what to do next. And typically they're saying, we need to choose new technology to support us, or we need somebody who knows what good looks like and has been through this growth journey a few times to help us um, make those decisions. Great. Um, Well, I'll ask the first question. Um, So this is quite a big question and obviously there'll be variables around it, but from, from you kind of the projects that you work on, what are typically the main pain points that trigger a business to start looking at an ERP? I may sound like I'm repeating myself throughout because there's going to be some recurring themes, but one of the most common things is that the operational capacity inside of a business to handle the demands being placed on them by customer demand Basically, customer demand is outstripping their operational capacity to meet it, whether that be overselling on websites because the stock levels aren't up to date through to things like we cannot create more hours in the day. How do we make all of these processes more efficient? And then I think a really big one is oh my God, our business runs on spreadsheets and they're all stored on different people's laptops and we don't have anything or any knowledge of how they all interact and thread together. So those are the kind of big pressing things. Customer demand is outstripping operational capacity. We need technology to help us solve that without throwing more people at it all the time. We have specific issues that we just can't seem to solve that relate to certain things in the, whether it be in data, whether it be in process. And then third is a classic, there's just spreadsheets everywhere and we can't unpick it. Great. And then I guess when people get to this point, what do you think their first step should be? So I know you obviously run a consultancy. Yeah. Um, that to one side for for brands that don't have kind of you know uh, CTOs or CFOs or kind of big IT teams that have done this before Mm. um, how do you think a brand should go around go about that kind of selection piece and also kind of starting to build a set of requirements yeah um, good question I mean it's probably worth taking a step back from that and saying when brands and leaders inside of these businesses are feeling those pain points and seeing those factors what do they normally do? What I would do and what the vast majority of these leaders do is they'll ask in their network, I'm having these issues, what did you do? They'll talk to existing partners, whether that be a web agency, consultants who are supporting them, and they'll probably do some Google searching. What they'll typically find is they'll get hit by the acronym ERP, whether that's through somebody recommending they check it out or Google searches getting hit with typical names like Oracle, NetSuite, Microsoft, and SAP, and the like. And I think what that happens repeatedly, and the same names come up again and again and again, and that unconsciously leads people to thinking that the only kind of option they've got is ERP. It almost feels inevitable because all roads seem to lead to it. And what I really encourage people to first, really, if they can take one thing away from this podcast is the fact that the the notion that ERP is an inevitability is a fallacy that's been built up by marketing teams, not the reality. 
And it's been so successfully marketed and not challenged for so long that people feel that they just have to do it at some stage. And you don't. I, I can guarantee that you don't have to. Um, now, that doesn't mean that ERP is always the wrong thing. Don't get me. I'm not anti-ERP. I'm anti the default that it is inevitable. It isn't. So then you need to go through processes that say, right, what? how do we avoid falling into that fallacy trap? And I think the best thing you can do irrespective of whether you work with a consultant like me or you can do this independently, is you've got to know your operational processes end-to-end. And if there is one thing you do over the next month, if you are thinking, should we ERP or not ERP, visualize all of your end-to-end processes across the business in something like Whimsical or Miro and do it down to a really granular level. Because what this enables you to do is identify the main pain points in your processes or in your operation or in your data and highlight the root causes and what it'll enable you to do is isolate those. So instead of falling into the trap of just sort of grouping them all together and saying, I need one system to solve all of these problems, because we're human and we want the simplest route to solving as many of our problems as possible. The issue is that does not exist in back office technology. It, it will be sold to you. Hint, hint, this is how ERPs have marketed themselves so successfully. One system to rule the entire back office. It will not deliver that in reality for you. So what you've got to do, map everything out, isolate the individual pain points and try and identify the root causes and then pair those pain points and root causes with specific solutions. Now, those solutions may be one of the solutions, may be ERP, because it helps you tick a couple of the boxes that you need to you know, meet. You need to have these particular things solved, but it will not cover them all. There will be better fit tooling than ERP for certain areas. So biggest thing I can encourage people to do, visualize your end-to-end operations and overlay it on the technologies that are being used in different parts of those processes, isolate the problems, and then choose the best fit tooling and use those visual tools to engage prospective vendors or partners so that you can be really clear with them as to what you need. Abstraction will lead you down a very, very risky path where you think you can get one system to solve all of the problems because people will sell you that and don't you really want to avoid that trap. I think that's that's absolutely spot on advice. It's amazing some of the projects where people have said, oh, you know, we're going to do an RFP um, now for, for selecting its acronym city today for ERPs. My first point has always been, what are your processes that you want and what are the issues? What can't you do at the moment? What needs to be automated? What are you in? And it's amazing how sometimes just a a you know a small pot of money spent with a BA, an experienced BA who's very good at systems definitions and mapping, can help to actually reduce the the demands that you might think need to go into a new system versus what can be done better with existing tools. Do you do you find it surprising how often businesses just don't actually know their operational processes end-to-end. And have you found that um, like part of the problem is that knowledge is siloed? So departments have like these vertical processes and then they've never been modelled out like cross-functionally? Yeah, 100%. Because a lot of projects, when I do strategy projects and people mm. say, oh, we want to we improve our operational capacity or we want to improve our operational efficiency, yeah. my first question is, What's wrong at the moment? How does it work? What what are the processes and what's broken? What's broken from the business point of view? What's broken from a technology point of view? And what's broken from a customer point of view? Yeah. And if you and most of the time people go, oh, we don't really know because you're right. There there are silos, 
there are times when people are under-resourced, therefore they just haven't got to doing it. They know they want to, but it's like, pff, do you know what? I've got to trade Black Friday. I'm not mapping processes. Yeah. So there's that reality to face as well. And, and you know what? This this sounds like a really sort of um, basic plug for what we do, but the fact that that is all we do makes us really valuable to businesses, that this is something they know they really want to be able to do and they want to map these things out, but it's never going to be the top of the priority list, like when you say you've got Black Friday to prepare for. So I think in many ways, if you can find people who are really qualified BAs and solution designers, they're worth their weight in gold, not because they'll sort of, it's not like witchcraft, it's like just really, really methodical processes that get everything clear in people's minds. But it makes sure that you've, you, your decisions that you make afterwards, you just get much faster ROI, much better ROI, because you're solving the problems you actually need to solve rather than like oversimplifying the problem and trying to find one thing that's going to fix it all. Yeah, I, I work with a, um, I guess, a relatively inexperienced e-commerce manager recently, but I say that just on a number of years in the job, but in terms of uh, knowledge and capability, uh, better than a lot of uh, people who've worked in that job for you know five or six more years. Yeah, She was excellent at understanding the dependencies on other departments and teams and technologies and how existing ERP worked and what the issues were and where the barriers were to enabling them to scale and you know do smarter CRM, et cetera. So there are e-commerce managers that have that kind of T-level, T-shaped thinking, but it's mm-hmm. not all of them so yeah you're right and i i agree i think bas are sometimes the most underrepresented in the project and and yeah. clients will spend tens of thousands you know and tens of thousands even more on, on design yeah yet they won't spend a a decent chunk of money on operational process yet yeah. the, the design looks beautiful and as you say you scale the customer demand and your operational processes are shite you yeah. can't service them and they don't come back so yeah such a good way of putting it yeah, interesting. So I'm glad we flagged operational stuff. That's really important. Um, so a question I've got linked to that. So I know I've been rambling on, Paul. Um, but I'd love to know your advice there, because you said you don't the starting point is you don't have to have an ERP. Don't start by thinking it. So look at what you'll need it. What are the main things that d- dictate for you when a business needs an ERP? Mm. When it needs it. So what are the factors that lead people to getting an ERP and why that's a good decision. Yeah, exactly. What are the common issues businesses you've seen have where an ERP is what they need and, and they should be going down that path versus you can get away with using other systems and, and integrations? Uh, yeah, it starts with finance. For me, ERP, particularly if you are a multi-subsidiary international business selling in, let's say, North America, Europe, UK, and you have like trading entities in those different territories, you've got a whole raft of complexities when it comes to financial management, whether that be how you're calculating and recording tax, how you're reconciling transactions, all of these different things, duties, etc. ERP is like weapons grade at solving those sorts of problems. So for me, like when I go into a business and we conclude that ERP is right, it is invariably because they have big limitations in their current setup and big demands in their growth forecast going forward around finance. So sales revenues and those being accurate in all of the different territories with all of the different things that are factored in there. Stock valuation. The valuation part is really key to stress there. Like 
what is our, um, our liability in terms of the cost in lots of different potentially like fulfillment locations and, and warehouses? And then finally, how are we making our payment reconciliation processes as efficient as possible so we can do the basic financial work of month end and produce like management reports and insights that we can analyze and start making decisions from rather than spending all of our time building the report so we know what's actually happened. So for me, like ERP is a glorified finance system. If you approach ERP as saying, I want a glorified version of Zero that can scale as my business internationalizes and scales significantly, you will get much, much better ROI out of a NetSuite, a Dynamics Business Central, et cetera, than if you say, I want everything. So yeah, finance is where I really start to zero in on when it comes to ERP. Yeah, that, that resonates with with the, the typical clients I work with yeah. where the the need to do something, the the cost and effort to, to try and customize an e-commerce platform or build on top of it is not what an e-commerce platform's designed to do, which is all your financial reporting, reconciliation, and especially that yeah, the stock forecasting and and uh, stock turnover, et cetera. Yes. Yeah. And it, it, some of the times I've seen where where you've got people who, who where the finance don't want to obviously post sales until items are dispatched, but an e-commerce is taking payment on order. And yeah. if it's pushed straight through, you get all of the financial reports are out of sync and kilter and the finance team have an absolute mare. Yeah, you, 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 um, you're absolutely right on all of those points. And I think one of the big things that I'd like to stress, because I think in many ways I'm quite outspoken about the pitfalls associated with going with ERP and to the extent where I've like written blog posts titled like the post ERP movement. Just want to stress that does not mean anti ERP. Like these are objectively brilliant systems with huge amounts of money spent on them, widely used across the industry. They aren't the enemy. The enemy is like buying into the fallacy that it can do everything in the back office. If you isolate it to those areas that it can be really good at and really effective at, you will have a great time with it. And I think finance is, is the area that you really want to sort of load ERP in as the key system long term. That makes sense. Um, and I guess you've talked a lot around kind of the pros of not going down the ERP route. but. Yeah. With some of the clients you've worked with, what might a typical equivalent stack look like? Like, What are some of the other systems you'd bring in and maybe some example vendors? Yeah. So I think, again, like just building on that ethos of like ERP is like a glorified zero. So like lots of businesses will start when they with a Shopify instance, zero, maybe a warehouse or a 3PL. And then they'll have like an array of different apps that plug into Shopify and then a load of spreadsheets that sit around it. If you continue with that kind of methodology and you say, okay, the next evolution of the finance function is going to be adopting ERP and having it integrated to the various systems, that's great. But that also leaves a lot of other areas in the tech stack that need a system to support the growth and the scale. And I think some of the classic areas that businesses should prioritize over like a dramatic ERP implementation is investing in your data and insights stack. So building out a BI capability inside of the business, you know, you sort of long-term 
totally scalable infrastructure will have like a data warehouse, a, a data modeling layer and a visualization tool on the top. You know, you hear Domo mentioned a lot, Tableau, Looker. So those are like the top of a BI stack. Some of more entry-level tools are things like Glue. You hear that's really popular in a lot of Shopify um, brands. But I think BI and Insights, actually, its flexibility can be a little bit intimidating because it's quite you have to kind of figure out what you want from it. It's not like this pre-built system that you're just you know, um, activating different functions in, but that's its key strength. It's able to bend to the nuances of your business. So what I'm trying to encourage a lot of businesses to do is invest the six figures plus that you would spend on a big wide ranging ERP implementation and actually prioritize the spend on BI because you will build out a lot more like intellectual property for your business and like tailor it to what you need in BI and get a lot more sort of um, value for money long term out of it. Um, I also think that there's just an explosion in the number of tools that are more fine grained. Like you hear composable tech stack as a phrase being um, used more and more. And I think that there's just a lot more kind of composable tools that solve a specific problem. You know, I, I see Cogsy as a good tool. Um, Predico or Predico is like a, a, a more local competitor to Cogsy. I think those are exemplifying like that there are finer grade tools that solve a specific thing and a need in a business without trying to stretch across the entirety of the business and build everything into one system. Um, and then look, it, it goes without saying no code is really, really shaking things up. I think a lot of the business logic processes and sort of automated thinking that people used to build into their ERP systems are being moved into no-code systems and people are actually building their own apps on top of no-code infrastructure like Airtable, Retool, you know, the list goes on. But I think that's really shaking things up. So BI, specific, more fine-grained tools and no-code are where we're seeing people innovate and, and find alternatives to the more traditional only ERP in the back office route. And, you know, like no code tools are brilliant at starting to guzzle up some of those spreadsheet based processes. And they're just more in more intelligent, more flexible in terms of how they can integrate with different systems. You know, like product management is being transformed by no code because it's so easy to then pump that data into Shopify, a warehouse system, a, a finance system. So, yeah, I think that's the biggest shift I've seen in the last five, 10 years, actually. What is Ampliance? In a word, it's freedom. The freedom to build a digital experience as limitless as your vision. Create, preview, schedule and manage all your content in one easy place. Find out more at Ampliance.com. Ampliance. Experience freedom. Great. And I guess um, when... Compared to the initial question here is more focused on ERPs, but I actually think it'd be quite interesting um, to talk about some of the other systems. So when you're starting to kind of build out that stack and let's say you're looking at like an inventory management system um, mm -hmm. and maybe like something for finance, um, what should people be looking for? And like, what are some of the variables around kind of selecting systems that are um, kind of best suited for your business? 
Man, good question. I mean, talking to people who've used them before is always really helpful. It's like why e-commerce thinking exists, you know, like there's a lot of insecurity around selecting new tools. You know, a lot of brand leaders and business leaders, particularly in like the D2C space, a lot of the senior teams are inherently like creative product brand type people like that's what gets their juices flowing and the whole idea of data and tech and making those decisions is quite it's like quite insecure about it and it makes sense so genuinely talking to people and using your network effectively would be the first thing i would do who's done this before who's chosen something who seems to be pretty happy with it can i you know take what they've done and tweak it for my own business the second is, and, and one of the sort of base rules that I would enforce in any business that I'm involved in, is you just don't choose tools that don't have really flexible, either pre-built integrations or really flexible APIs that enable you to plumb and move the data around. You will get so much more value for money out of a system that has a, a like a really well-built, well-documented API than something that's like a black box. So I'm mindful that's quite abstract advice, and I've not given you like a list of here's the tools I would choose, here's the ones I wouldn't. But this the field is so vast that it's almost impossible to do that because you need to know the situation in the business and then pair it with the right tooling. So talk to your network and never choose systems that don't talk to other things. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. I am a massive advocate of kind of, yeah, open, more open products, like really well-documented, mm. standardised APIs, well-connected, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so I think that makes sense. And then a sub-question off the back of that. Mm-hmm. So uh, if a business was to, you know, like a bigger business, they've got some, you know, big stakeholders that maybe have worked VRPs in the past and they've already decided to go down that route. If you were in the market and you were, you know, looking at and maybe the SAPs, the NetSuites, the uh, Microsoft Dynamics, like what typically would be look like, uh, what should be the main criteria and kind of how would you differentiate between? Man, big, big question. I'm going to try not to be too controversial here, but I think there's very little that differentiates them. (laughs) You know, at base, an ERP is a general ledger, and then they've got lots and lots of different things that have been stacked on top. And if you did a direct comparison between the major players that have got the most money behind them, the vast majority would come out pretty even in terms of the core functionality and the level to which you can customize them if you either work with their own professional services teams or you work with one of their partners, whether that's a Microsoft reseller partner or a specialist NetSuite agency. So I think it's actually quite hard to differentiate between them at like just base functionality level. I think where you start to see some differentiation is in the methodologies i.e. how they are implemented and what process they go through. And then I think also how much they've worked with brands that are like yours. So whether that be vertical, whether it be complexity and nuances in your operating model or your customer promise. So uh, I think if people are trying to split hairs between the different functions in the biz- in these systems, they're probably going down a bit of a blind alley. There's still value in it, but I wouldn't sweat that as much as I would. What is the methodology? How are these businesses or these people proposing this solution interpreting my business and my unique needs? And that links back to model out your operational processes so that you can ex- articulate it and show it to these people. 
when have they done this before with a business that resembles me or very closely to me and my, my operation? Um, and then in terms of ongoing, I think, like I said before, I really, really encourage businesses to reduce the scope of what they're expecting from the ERP so that they don't get build themselves into a corner further down the line. You know, ERPs are very flexible and custom development can be done extensively on top of them. If it should just because you can do that doesn't mean you should. And I think the biggest thing is to avoid building too much on top of the ERP. And therefore you kind of reduce the need for ongoing development forever and ever and ever on top of the system. System. That may sound like I'm sitting on the fence. So to be a little bit more opinionated on it, Paul, because I can tell you're about to ask me, the biggest tip I can advise people is do not fall into the kind of allure of working with, for me, let me rephrase that. You might want to edit that bit. But for me to be opinionated, I would say, I've never had a very good experience since I've been client side with the really, really generic delivery methodologies of these vendors. So classic example is like Oracle NetSuite have a fantastic business in terms of generating demand and converting that demand. Their reputation at actually delivering what the business needs and delivering satisfaction at the other side of it isn't as effective as those other elements. They tend to need a lot of their projects rescuing. So I think that there's something to be learned from that. I think actually some of these more sort of niche specialist partners that work with specific businesses with specific needs and are experienced at like flexing the system to those requirements, I'd go with the smaller team that have worked with you and businesses just like you over the big like behemoth team that looks massive and like they could do everything. The reality is that they just don't tend to be able to deliver the same way as a, a crack, more specialist team that works closer with you. When you talk about like a smaller, more niche player, so would like an example be like, we've obviously looked at Zadonk with a couple of clients recently who have already used it and they seem to be broadening. So would that be like an example for fashion? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, we, we think Zadonk has a really strong place in the market. I also think that there's like examples of businesses who are deploying these bigger ERP systems better. So like we we know Greg and Chris at ACS, like they're a common contact of you and I, Paul. We work really closely with those guys on some NetSuite projects because they're able to get right under the skin of the business and understand the nuance and then have enough experience and expertise inside of the business to then model NetSuite to the requirements of the business. So I think that there's a few different flavors, right? There is the more niche-focused systems like a Zadonk in fashion. And then there are these niche agencies or partners that sit on top of these huge, very, very advanced systems, but they're tailoring them and personalizing them to the users at the other side. And I would always default to those over working directly with the vendor. Yeah, I have to say I, I typically would. And for a couple of reasons, the second, second one you've already talked about, the second one being cost, they, yeah. you will incur a lot of fat in your project fees because all the additional consultants who are wrapped around it and i'm not denigrating the approach of the big big companies that's how their business model works but 
if you want to de-risk a project, you want to reduce the costs as well to give yourself more contingencies should you get problems later on down the line. So, yeah, I agree. Uh, I got. I want to extend that question on de-risking, please, because you've talked about the um, about some of the key issues. You talk about projects overrunning. I've seen so many, so many times where I started an e-commerce re-platform and said to the client, "Your biggest risk of going live is your ERP integration." Mm-hmm. Um, even higher if they're putting in a new ERP alongside a new e-commerce platform. And a lot yeah. of people don't get it. They, they're like, I know we've got a project timeline. It's due to go live in September. I was like, add three months uh, if you're lucky. So apart from the the s- scope control, which yeah. is a, an obvious thing of don't try and bite everything off at once, what other advice can you give to What have you learned during the projects? How can people de-risk these projects? This could be down to resourcing. It could be down to managing partners. Like, What, what advice can you give people? Yeah, I'll go really practical, right? Like, what would I do and what do I do when I'm involved in these sorts of projects from the client side? So I think you've made it the point clear around like limiting the scope and making your requirements really, really clear. So that means visualizing it and documenting it in flows. You know, remember that the people delivering these systems are probably working on three, four, five, maybe more projects at any one time. Every time they stop working in your project, they're working on something else. They then return to your project and their memory of what you need will be distorted slightly. So make it really, 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 really clear what your processes need to be and keep keep like re-emphasizing those and returning to those visuals. Sounds pedantic, it works. So use those visuals as like a weapon to speed up the whole process. Integration is mega. You know, integration means that like when when somebody's deploying an ERP system, they're working with a team that is typically a specialist in the ERP and in that domain. They don't, A, have the experience of the other systems that they perhaps need in order to be able to isolate problems like Shopify, like your warehouse, like all the other systems that sit around your business. So really making sure that somebody is handling the integration. Now, that will involve like a technology, so like an integration platform, like a high cohesion, um, but also somebody internally who can answer all of those in-project questions about how does Shopify deal with these situations? How does your 3PL or your warehouse management system deal with these situations? There is like loads and loads of micro decisions as you're implementing an ERP. And if there is a lag period between the question being asked and the answer being provided, your timelines are going to consistently expand. They're always going to get pushed out. So what you need to create is a really, really dynamic like question and response like and that really comes down to resourcing you need somebody sat in the project all of the time with the awareness of what your processes are awareness of how those systems work and then the ability to answer those questions as they're coming up in a really dynamic and fast moving way and then the third area is data migration data migration is one of the if not the biggest cause of delays early in a project because ultimately Nobody wants to take control of it. The vendor providing the ERP is usually pretty hands-off when it comes to migrating and transforming your legacy data. The system that you're moving from or connecting to has no vested interest in your new ERP system. So somebody, either internally or a designated resource that you're going to work with, has to take the rather hairy and often quite unforgiving job of getting the data migrated and transformed. If you get the right people in, it isn't actually a big issue. 
if you don't, it literally, like, it can delay projects for months because people just cannot get their heads around how oh, I'm going to migrate, I don't know, 10,000 SKUs or 50,000 orders or 75,000 customers from its source format into this new format. How, how do I do that? Like, get somebody in who can handle the data migration and it will speed everything up. So yeah, three areas. Really make it clear what your requirements are in a visual way and just keep returning back to it and update it as it changes going through the project. Get somebody who is like really integration savvy, who can answer those integration questions and then make sure that what ramifications that has on the config of the ERP system is clear and understood to everyone. And then the third area is data migration. Just get somebody to handle that. Yeah, really, really nicely put. Yeah, we just did an episode, me and Paul, on data migration, an area that's often underestimated in the last <laughs> minute. And then people go, oh, we've got no product data. It doesn't work in this new system. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So this, this is this is a bit of a like a future gazing or conceptual question. So let's uh-huh. see how this one goes. So we've talked we've talked about some of the legacy platforms. So there are some massive players who've got a big track record, especially with with uh, in, in certain verticals like you know manufacturing etc so uh-huh. sap's oracles etc there are newer players i know paul uh, mentioned to me some like, I, I don't know if it's odoo or or do yeah. the belgian company what's your view on where the technology is going for erp what a, what a modern erp should look like yeah okay let me think on my feet here um oracle sap microsoft have so, so much strength, they're not going to lose the ERP crown. A new emerging ERP in inverted commas won't beat those. So there's a splintering. So the new emerging players are going to be more fine-grained. They're going to be issue or problem or feature-specific. And then the big players will likely start acquiring them, which is happening. Inventory Planner got bought by, was it Sage or it may have been one of the other bigger players. Anyway, I think we're going to see finer grain systems being acquired by the the bigger software houses. I think we're also going to start seeing a wave of acquisitions in no-code tools. I think Microsoft is either going to buy or build their own. Google have started building their own no-code application builder. It's inevitable that Oracle will start doing that as well. So I think what I think the future will hold is that ERP may start being used as an acronym in the next 10 years. I think we may move beyond ERP. And that doesn't mean we'll move beyond the businesses that own and run and have these ERP systems. I think it's just going to splinter. And maybe we'll continue to use the ERP phrase for certain factors of it, but I think we'll start to sort of supplement it with other things. And I suspect that most of them are going to exist under the umbrellas of some of these big companies. It's quite a... um, cynical slightly depressing view on the future sorry for that but you do you know what i mean i i think i think we are moving into a phase where our current conception of what erp is inside of a retail business or a manufacturing business will evolve and i think it will evolve with the major players being two or three years ahead of all of us and realizing that the acquisitions they need to make or the way they split up their products or position their products will start to change and morph. And, and that's how the, 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 the ecosystem, I think, will continue to develop. 
Um, okay, so slightly open last question. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have any parting suggestions for brands that are currently looking at investing in their kind of back office setup? Stuck record time. Don't buy another back office tool until you've modelled out your operational processes in detail in a visual way. And then interrogate them with different stakeholders and different departments of the business so that you do really understand how the business operates end to end and where the root causes of your problems are. Don't buy anything until you've done that. And then buy stuff that solves the problems as you've isolated them, not in this kind of like abstract sweeping way. Going down the abstract sweeping way will cost you more money waste you a load of time and reduce the ROI on what you eventually spend, being really specific, really clear, and really confident in what you know is the problem inside of the business will get you much faster ROI. You'll spend less money and you'll make improvements much quicker. Sounds simple, but it's like, that's the most sort of effective advice I can give. I like that. Um, I think we've. I think there's been a lot of really good advice during this this process. I really like the fact that your starting point is not you need an ERP, but do you and and make sure the the, the key point I've taken from this, which which I wholeheartedly uh, believe in, is is map your operational processes and look at where your issues are and what you how you can best achieve these things. And if you don't understand technically how you knit them together, if you don't have someone who's got that enterprise solution architecture. Yeah. knowledge base within the business it's worth the waiting gold to have a, you know, a consultant like yourself an agency partner whoever is the technical specialist to help you get the right solution so that you're not sold something that you don't need i think that's the most important thing by sometimes by spending five to ten k up front on advice you can save yourself you know, tens and tens hundreds of thousands in future pain a hundred percent and it's hard to quantify the risks involved in rushing into something like this because it's it's not just the monetary outlay which is always going to be six figures if you go down an erp in the traditional way but it's also the loss of time and energy these are really attritional projects when you go through these like big erp implementations you don't want to do it on a whim you want to be 100% certain that you you're going to get out of it what you need from the other side and i think just as a kind of closing statement like really making sure that you know your operational processes we've started to use the phrase operator experience so you know like ux is like the idea of what is the customer's end-to-end -end experience of our brand, our product, our customer service? Like, how are we set up to delight the customer end-to-end? -end? There is another part to the same discipline. It's like just underneath, which is operator experience. And it's like, what is your team's experience of delivering that end-to-end -end customer experience? How efficient is it? How manual are the processes? How much time are your team spending actually doing really low value, unrewarding work to support that customer experience versus how much are they doing really high value work because they've got systems and tools that talk to each other that are set up properly that automate most of the grunt work that sits underneath the surface. So yeah, we're trying to really like really promote this idea of operator experience as being a discipline that deserves 
like oxygen and time inside of a business and focus. Now, that could just be time that your own team spend thinking about what is it like to deliver this service and how could it be more effective? Or it could be investing in external help, which is where e-commerce thinking sits. But I think that's a nice sort of title to sort of encapsulate all of the things and the discipline that we're talking about here. Excellent. Going to nick that one. Yeah, do, go for it. I like it. I will give you credit. Don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a really good way of, because in the the if you try to deliver a new e-commerce website without thinking about customer experience, businesses and bright lights, especially creatives and brands and you know, heads of customer experience yeah. would laugh you out of town. But so many times people people are happy to compromise on the operational experience and the things that impact their staff day to day on their ability to execute. So I 100% agree it's really important. Um, Luke, really appreciate you taking time. I've really enjoyed that. I think um, people listening will have learned a stack out of that as well. If anybody wants to grill you a bit more in terms of what your skills and what you can do are, or they want to discuss a project, how do they reach out? They can reach out on ecommercethinking.com and then I am at LinkedIn. If you um, Google or LinkedIn Luke Hodgson, I will likely come up as one of the top few hits. So yeah, reach out to me, direct message me on LinkedIn or get in touch with us through the website. And also on the website, you can find out our process, how um, how we do what we do and um, what kind of impact we can have inside of the brands. Cool. And I'm loving the glasses. They're giving me the Thunderbirds vibe today. <laughs> Yeah, no, these are Qubits. So someone we work very, very closely with. Yes. That's you, Paul. Yeah, cool, Brian. Excellent. Um, and thanks, everyone, for listening, as always. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Keep an ear open for the next episode that drops every Tuesday. Do subscribe, and please do give us a rating on Apple, Spotify, or YouTube. Thanks very much. Until next time. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.